0: When I think about the people that have impacted my life the most, Musa immediately comes to mind. Musa and I met when we were in the really early days of our life and our career, honestly figuring it out, having no idea who we wanted to be or what we wanted to become. But we found a friendship and a mentorship in one another as our careers grew pretty much in parallel. Musa has been able to be a leader and a storyteller at some of the greatest brands on earth. From leading social media at Burberry during the social revolution, to being the first ever director of social media at Nike, to then going on to lead marketing functions at Apple, Ford, and most recently Airbnb experiences. He is really one of the greatest marketers of our time. And yet, he's also the kindest, most humble person that I know, and takes his ability to both storytell and teach to his work every day. Okay, you and I, both storytellers, so I actually wanted to start by you telling the story of how we met.
1: Whoa. Okay. So, let me start 2009, I'm, uh, I'm running social media at Burberry, crushing the game. Like just, there was no one who was doing social better at the time in the fashion world. And then all of a sudden, I start hearing about this kind of other company that's kind of doing okay in social in America called michael cause and i think i found on twitter that you were the person behind it you were running social michael cause and i was like, all right, my competition you had this cute photo of yourself and i can say this because i was single all the time but you had this cute photo of yourself with a monkey and uh you incredibly tanned and i was like all right she's good looking and she's good at social This is good so we i think we connected on twitter We stayed in touch over time. I was very familiar with the work that you were doing. You were copying a lot of what I was doing. Um, (laughs) Don't believe a word he said. There was a Facebook conference and I came to America, got on a plane. It was in New York, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm at this Facebook conference and I knew you were going to be there. So in the back of my mind, there was a moment where I was like, all right, cool. I'll finally meet Farron. I'm doing something and then someone comes and taps me on the back looks at me and says, "Musa," and is so excited to see me. And I'm like, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> and then you tell me you're Farron. And the first thing I say to you is, you look nothing like your photo. The
0: original catfish. <laughs> right? And to this day, I will not change that photo just to make yeah, Moussa mad. and nothing like
1: you. I'd love to meet her one day.
0: Uh, <laughs> She was a cool cat.
1: Happily married man, but that she looked cool, uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know who she is. But yes, that's that's how we met. The first words I said to you in real life where "You look know nothing like your photo," and uh, we've been friends ever since.
0: Yes, we have, dear friends, and I think more than friends have really grown up in our careers side by side and taken really different paths. Musa has really gone out to iconic brands that we all use and love every day from Apple to Nike and most recently Airbnb. I'm missing a few in there that we'll get to, whereas I took a more entrepreneurial startup path for companies like Sweetgreen. And I think that in the early days of social, when you and I were first getting started in our career, social media was like the wild, wild west. Tell me a little bit about those early days at Burberry and what it was like to really be a pioneer in storytelling on platforms that didn't exist.
1: Yeah, I think that there's, a, there's an interesting perspective that I take on life. And when I, when I speak to younger people coming up in their careers, I talk to them and ask them what they think their competitive advantage is in the workplace, right? What makes you stand out from everyone else? And for young people in the workplace, now that I'm not young, I know there's two things. One is you just have more time. Right? Like, as a young person in the workplace, when you're 21, yes, you may have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, but you're not married, you don't have kids, you don't have like big responsibilities. You have far more time than anyone else, right? Compared to your bosses. Like, right now, my stage in my life, I've got kids to look after, I've got, you know, family, I come home and I can't just sit in front of my computer and work. Like, I've got other responsibilities. And at that point in my life, there was a, a a moment where I just knew that I had more time than everyone else. And the way that I was going to spend that time was focused on getting better in my career, focused on getting knowing more about things that other people didn't have the time to know, right? So, for example, a very a very simple, a simple analogy is I used to have enough time in my day or in my evening to watch the whole Apple keynote. I would then take that whole Apple keynote and then summarize it into – two paragraphs and send it to everyone in the office so all my bosses who didn't have a chance to watch it kind of got a key cut summary and and why why i say this is that with social that was my other competitive advantage right at that age at that time it was only kids and young people using social like just like older people now feel scared by by tiktok there is and i you know I, i feel scared by Snapchat. (laughs) But like, there was there was a fear. And like, as a young person, I felt that like I knew more about social than every everyone else. And so I used that to my advantage in the organization and said, Look, you know, there's a lot that I don't know, right? I'm still young. I'm still only just getting into this industry. But let me be the expert in this niche area that not many people understand right now. And and that for me was like a huge point of differentiation in my career at a really young age was going, this is niche. And and you know I, I say the same thing about voice right now. Like I think where voice is right now is where social media was when I first started. Like it was this thing that kind of existed, people didn't quite get it, didn't quite understand it. But you know, you look at the way that we are now embracing voice in terms of things with Amazon Echoes and Googles and things like that. Like, I don't know where it goes, but I just know that there's some sort of future in marketing and voice. And there's, there's people who've been talking about it for a while, but it's like finding that niche that I think is interesting. But it was, yeah, social was fun at the time, Farron. Like, it was a, it was the wild wild west. And working in a fashion brand, it was scary for everyone around me. I think that was the thing I remember the most It's like for... Everyone who'd kind of worked at the Gucci's and the Louis Vuitton for 20 years, they were scared by it because social was democratic and luxury was exclusive, right? And you had that problem. I know you did.
0: It was like eat, sleep, dream, and breathe social. And I think for those of us that were lucky enough to be there during the Wild West, it was really like grab the gold or miss out. I remember sitting at my desk and having two computers, one that was open to TweetDeck all day, every day. And let me tell you, there was not a minute of the day or an hour of the day where I would tweet at Musa and he didn't answer within 30 seconds because those of us that were dedicated to the platforms, those of us that were dedicated to the channel saw a unique opportunity. And I think more than anything, it was exhilarating. It was exhilarating to be at the forefront of these new mediums where for the first time to your point, The conversation was completely democratic. It was completely open. It was completely available. And it was scary. Brands were scared of what customers had to say. And now we're in a position as brand builders where we can't afford to not listen to what the customer has to say. And that was a massive shift for you when you were at Burberry. How did you lead that shift, right? An an incredible luxury brand. I'm not going to say that you were ahead of me. Okay. You know, I think like (laughs) Michael Kors was definitely a leader in the U.S., but Burberry was doing pretty innovative things at the time and really pushing the envelope as it related to social. So tell me, like, how did you lead that within an organization that was so substantial in luxury?
1: Here's the truth of the matter is like, I think today the social media manager role is the toughest role in marketing because not only are you so close to the customer and and just constantly hearing this feedback right and and yes some days it's love but some days it's also hate right like it's it's the it's the extremes right it's the customers who are the extremes it's customers who really really love you and it's customers who really really hate you so you're reading everything coming in and then secondly and I think this is the biggest difference is your work is under so much more scrutiny than it was for us and of course, we did. We tried to aim for perfection. I, I always tried to aim for perfection. But not everyone in my organization was following us on Twitter. 99% of people didn't even have a Twitter account. And Instagram started so 99% of people in the organization didn't have Instagram. Not everyone was watching everything I thought. And, and not everyone thought they were an expert. Like that was, that was the difference, right? Today... Even as a head of marketing, I think I'm an expert in social. And so I'm always like scrutinizing my my social media team on is this the right post, is this not the right post? Everyone thinks they are a social media expert because they use social. And so we did have it so much more easier in that we we could get away with putting stuff out there and were considered experts because it was niche at the time. Now anyone who has a social media account just thinks like they're a, a social media expert, just like most people think they're you a know, TV ad expert, right? But I think the key for me at the very early days is was edu- like take the time to educate. I used to always tell my team that half of your day should be spent educating people, half of your day should be spent doing the work. And I used, always used to use this doctor analogy as well, was that a doctor can explain what you've got using medical terms. And they always actually do start with that to... To assert some sort of okay, listen. I know what I'm doing, but they don't. They don't stop there. They then take that incredibly complicated medical term and explain what's wrong with you or what's right with you in a, a way that you understand. And I think that was applied to the same thing in social. My teams was guys like, don't get frustrated, but people don't understand why you want to do things. And so the first couple of years, Baron. Genuinely, I spent half of my time educating people and taking the time to educate them in a way that they would understand, right? Never getting frustrated. And I always talk about this. I was like, why I know that worked was because I remember, I think the last thing I ever did at Burberry before I left was something called Tweet Walk, which was where we tweeted out every look that came down the runway before it went down the runway, right? Really, really simple idea. But what was... Special about that was that idea got sold in, in in two minutes. Right, I remember going to Christopher and Angela and saying, "Listen, this is what I want to do." And because I'd been working for four years on building trust, building education, like they knew what that meant. They knew the power of what that would have, and it got approved in two minutes. And I and I think that you know that to me is the key. I, and I and I you know, the foundation of everything is is the thing that no one sees. But without the foundation, decisions get, don't get made quickly. And I, and I think that you know, what I've learned in my career is how important it is to spend as much time as possible on the foundational work. And my analogy that I shared very recently was as you drive past the building site, you know how like it looks like no work has been done for months and, and maybe even years. And then all of a sudden, the building gets put up in the best brands in the world. Their foundations are so strong. The Nikes, the Apples, the of as well. Their foundations are so strong that the reason they can move quickly is because they have a foundation in place already. They know what they stand for. They know what's important. And they know uh, the kind of um, customers they have. They know all that work, right? And, and this is the thing is like, you know, you'll know this as, as, as now you've opened your agency. People want to get to the work straight away. They go, hey, Farron, I need a, an ad campaign, or I need a design, but they're not—they're not willing to do that. Well, actually, let's take three weeks or a month to understand what it is we stand for, understand who our customer is, understand what segment of the market we're going after, understanding like the pricing. And I think people forget about that piece of marketing. And for me, that foundation is is so critical to be able to move faster later on, and we forget that. And so, you know. And I know I rambled on a tiny bit, but that that was that was for me the the crux and the beauty of like what worked at, at Burberry was getting the foundation right, and it's something that obviously Andrew and Chris had been working on for many years prior. But I just got to jump on it and hijack it.
0: I think incredible leaders that have experience know the importance of a foundation. We talk about this all the time in brand the importance and need for a brand strategy often goes overlooked because it doesn't always feel productive. There's not a direct correlation to ROI. And so I think sometimes both in our personal and in our professional life, we forget to take a step back and say, what am I really trying to accomplish? And through the lens of to who, who am I as a business? Like Burberry is such a clearly defined brand with such incredible leaders that it has such a pin. It is so sharp. It's like a pin. And so I think that, to your point, gave you the ability to then build trust, create influence, really study your channels, which I think what you're saying here is regardless of the wild, wild west that you are currently living in, there is opportunity everywhere. What was unique about the opportunity that you and I had in social in the early 2000s was that with effort Right. With this approach of being curious and being experimental, you could actually really win. But it wasn't without hard work. And I think to your point, there's a real misconception in the in the world, both as it relates, I think, to brand, but also to social that it's easy. When in fact, there are so many layers to building a strong brand. And it starts with building a strong foundation. You know, you've actually crafted a very strong brand for yourself. I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about the intention behind it and what you think your brand represents?
1: I hate questions like this because (laughs) there's a side of me which is like, well, are you being deceptive to the world? Like, have you created a brand and therefore are you deceiving everyone into thinking you're something that you're not? And when people talk about personal branding, I I feel like it's like a gloss over who I actually am. But the the reality of it is, Fran, it's taken me time to really think about what is important to me. It's a very, very simple question that I ask a lot of people, which is take this as as an example, right? A client or your boss comes to you and says, Farron, I want you to work on a project for this new brand. What's the first thing that you do? Research. Research and then a A proposal, right? A proposal? A proposal, a plan. Like you put together a plan. I think this is
0: going to be a trick question. Yes, I put together a proposal.
1: (laughs) Okay, I I put all the words into your mouth. But like you put together a proposal. That that is the first thing that you do is you put together a plan. But yet no one takes the time to even like take five minutes with a, a blank piece of paper and write a plan for their life. Most 99% of people do not take a, a minute to write a proposal. I, I've put together so many proposals and project plans for so many different things from shoes to cars to computers. But so many people have never done that for themselves. Like, and you don't, no one buys into a project without a plan. I'm not going to accept that, You know, I'm not going to say, yes, we should go ahead and do that project without a plan. But we don't do it for ourselves. And, and I think that it was only, it was not long ago, Farron, that I started trying to write a plan for my life. And that wasn't like just what I was going to do, but like what I stood for and what was important to me and, and the type of person that I wanted to be. And mentorship matters to me. Mentorship and education is really important to me. So there, therefore, I accelerate and lean into that right? I lean into that. I know it's ever so it used to be a point of differentiation. Now, I think a lot of people get into this space, which is good. But it, it used to be a point of differentiation for me. And I, and I think it's just like, just as you think about storytelling, what are your three bullets points in life that make you different from everyone else? And, and I think knowing what those are is, is first of all, very critical. Uh, and being able to tell your story in a way that makes it differentiated is important as well. And so when it comes to personal brand, I, I know who I am. Who are you? It's, it's, it's a really good question. I, I, you know, listen, fa- first and foremost, I'm a, a marketer, right? Like, I love my industry. That is something that I want to be associated with and part of until the day I die. Like, that is something that is incredibly important to me. And it's a hobby. Marketing and communication is a hobby for me. I want to be recognized as, as a, a mentor or a, someone who is there willing to help young people. Like, that is very important. That, to me, is like my... Thing that I want to leave in the world is helping young people but both in career decisions both in life both in guidance and then the third one is, is just to come across as someone who is kind and generous with my time and with who I am as a person like it's not much more different than that and so those three things for me are the things that I want to come across in my social but then they are who I am as well and I just lean into them slightly more than I would, you know, I, I love football, but it's not something I talk about on social media a lot. And by football, I mean soccer, but it's something that's, it's something, <laughs> so that like, I lean into three things more so than anything else. Marketing, leaning into mentorship and guidance, and then leading into kindness and generosity. And that comes across more on my social media, but it is who I am. Fundamentally, I just choose to be those three things more than I choose to be other things.
0: How has that strategy, and it is a strategy, and part of why I ask that question is, I know your apprehension to this idea of a personal brand, and yet you have created one. I would say without blowing smoke and blowing up your head, that you're one of the best, most well-known, most sought-after marketers in the country. You're incredibly innovative. You're incredibly smart. You've gone from leading social media at Burberry to Nike to Apple to Ford to most recently Airbnb. And there is a strategy in some capacity behind the jobs that you have taken. So how has your story helped to create your path, right? Or how has your path helped to create the story? How much of it was looking at it through a filter that you just kind of walked us through?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is where it gets gets tricky right now because you've caught me at a time in my life (laughs) where I'm very reflective. I'm not going to lie that by, by working at those companies and and the fact that you've repeated them twice now,
0: (laughs) just getting under your skin.
1: Well, my, yeah, because my identity now is more associated with the companies I work at. So even as I think about what's next, I'm like, oh shit, I can't work, go work at a company that no one's heard of because that's not what I do. But like,
0: I offered him a job at Fahrenheit. He said, no, (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's, not true that 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 to me is, is something that like I'm really thinking about right but it was important for where I've got to now now I'm just looking at my life and the next stage of my my strategy and going is that important to me and and, and guess what it's not like it helped build my profile for sure and just like you know some of my work helped build my profile as well it, it's something that I, I really grapple with is is what is my identity tied to and it, by the way it definitely used to be this is I like to think it's moved away from it but I used to be that guy. Oh, that's Moosey. He's worked at Bowie, Nike, Apple. And like, I hated it, to be honest. It was good because it gave me a point, again, differentiation. But now I've, I've, I've promised myself, for example, that in my next job, I will not put my job in my Twitter bio. Like, I know that sounds so simple, but it, but it, is, it, is, it is a great way of starting to prepare my mind from being disassociated with the place I work as, a, as who I am as a person. And that's tricky. That is tricky. It's it's kind of changing a bit of who you are as a person. Your identity is, is scary.
0: Do you feel like once you reached this sort of pinnacle in your career, right, these dream jobs that to most people would be the first thing they'd put in their Twitter bio, that you realized it wasn't the companies that fulfilled you, but it was something else?
1: I think you can have multiple things that you want to try and achieve in your life. And, and when I was 21, my parents passed away and I established that I wanted to go into marketing. Being a CMO for me was the North Star. And, and by the way, being a CMO at 21 when you're in London and you don't have a job and you don't have a degree in marketing and you know no one in marketing seems like an impossible dream. But it was, it was something that I started on. And by the way, and, and you know this, even when you're in your first advertising job or marketing job, being a CMO it still feels like a, a million miles away. So mm-hmm. even when I was on the right track, it felt like a big dream. And I think the reality of it is, is that when I got there or got close, that was when I needed to reevaluate what my next North Star was. And, and maybe very lucky to have got there. I, I actually like to think that most people never achieve their North Star, but at least they have a, a journey and a destination. So when I, I remember when I was leaving Ford and thinking about what my next North Star was, I needed specifically to think differently and, and it just had to be, again, bigger and bolder. And, 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 you know, now my North Star is to really help rethink education at some point. And that doesn't mean I need to be doing that right now. It just means that everything I'm doing needs to help me get closer to achieving that. And that sometimes might be in a job to make money, to be able to save money so that I can take a job in a school later on in life or something else. But as long as I know the job that I'm doing gets me closer to doing achieving this goal, my North Star, that's important to me. And so today that doesn't matter to me at all, but at some point it really mattered. And that's totally fine, right? Different things matter to you at different points of your life.
0: So the roadmap can change. The North Star can move.
1: Yeah, if you've got that, like, uh, if, you've, if you've made it and if you've achieved it. And so I don't think I truly... Was blown away by getting to my pinnacle, my career. But like now, I've had to move my pinnacle, right? Like make it even bigger and bolder. And it's not now a company role and job title, but it's changing the system.
0: It sort of relates really cleanly, if you will, to a business. You set down goals for a year and hopefully you achieve those goals. And next year, those goals are bigger, they're greater, they're more challenging, they come with more inherent challenges. So it feels like the values are what have to stay and they can grow and they can change. But do you feel like having this set of values that you said came a bit later for you in life is helping you in create those decisions and create what comes next, looking at it through a filter of, I know what I'm looking for. I want to teach. I want to help people, right? I love marketing. That's still core. And it's something that I'm passionate about. Do you think that even though the North Star or the roadmap can change that the values are what help you create that clarity?
1: a thousand percent this, this is the first exercise i do with people who are a bit stuck in life is and, and a lot of people are doing that right now right is in as in today because of what's going on in the world when there's a crisis we tend to start looking inwards and reflecting on what's important to us and the first exercise i get people to do is take a piece of paper and write down what's important to you by values i really mean things that are very personal to you things that matter the most And then once they've got, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 on that list, I say, what are the three things on this list that matter to you the most? And like things that are non-negotiable. And it's actually a very hard exercise going from 10 to 3. But when you start thinking about them, you realize that those three things are very different from other people, right? Like I have a class of 30 people who I mentor on a weekly basis and we did this exercise and everyone went through their three things that were important to them and it was interesting that you know some some people really valued loyalty like loyalty was more important to them than anything else for some people it was the environment that mattered to them more than anything else and so this exercise of getting to your three values then helps you make decisions better and i and i think honestly the whole everything that we should be doing right now is help, helping us mitigate options the problem is that we have too many options in the world. So when you're a company, you've got too many options. Every ideas, There's no lack of ideas in a company, right? Like People always reach out to me and go, I've got this great idea. Yes, we've thought about that idea 10 times over. We just either don't have the money to do it or we've got 50 other ideas that are more important. The same thing applies to life. We have so many choices. Today, Varun, if you really wanted tomorrow, you could go and run a bar in Bali if you really want it tomorrow, you could leave your job, go and live in Italy and teach people how to make pasta. Like, and I think the problem is we've got so much choice that how do you mitigate that? It's, it's like dating in New York, right? You've got so <laughs> much choice that no one is in a relationship because there's just too much choice. How do you get that choice down? Well, you start thinking about the things that are totally non-negotiable to you, things that matter. So, oh. I need to be on the East Coast because that's where my family is. Cool, right? I've just knocked out half the world, half the jobs in the world have gone. I need to be earning between this much and this much. I need to be in a job that is working alongside alongside someone who can teach me. I need to be working in this industry. And then you start missing, and then all of a sudden your choices become much, much smaller. And then you go, okay, this is the easier decision to make
0: a process of elimination. And what's interesting is really you used that process of elimination, if you will, at every one of your brands that you've worked for. Maybe give me an example of a time where you felt like you had such a clear strategy, you understood the non-negotiables, and you were able to come up with a campaign or a project or an idea for a business that was so rooted in that clarity that it couldn't really have been done by anybody
1: else. The answer is not that strategy. And by the way, this is not This is not a a me thing. This is very well documented. So I'm stealing someone else's idea, but it's true. The strategy doesn't help you with what to do. It helps you decide what not to do. And and it goes back to that point, right, Farron, that like ideas are infinite. There are so many, like you and me could sit down and like there's this swell bottle right in front of me, right? Like you and me could take this swell bottle and come up with 50 ideas for swell tomorrow. You and me could come up with 50 ideas for Apple. You and me could come up with 50 ideas for Atoms. Any, like any brand in the world, you and me could come up with 50 ideas. We had half an hour to do so. But ideas are not the, the issue. It's, it's, it's filtering down the ideas. And, and that's what I think strategy does really well. Strategy tells you what not to do versus it tells you what to do. I, I think that is it. There are endless number of examples that I could give you where strategy has prevented me from doing something, be it you know, taking a a, a clothes company and putting it into a certain shop or or working with a partner, right? Like, you know, a lot of people reached out to us when we were doing Airbnb experiences and wanted to partner with us. And it was very clear that this partner wasn't aligned to our strategy. So it was easy to say no to. And 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 I think that is is the key. I I know I'm not giving you a specific example, but it's helped me say no to more things than ever before. And by the way, actually, More importantly, as someone junior in an organization, it's helped me say no to people who are more senior, who've told me to do stuff that I didn't believe in. Because then when I allude to the strategy and I'm like, no, the strategy says this way, not that way, that's really helped.
0: For those out there who are looking to say no more in their personal life or in their business, who maybe don't feel like they have the clarity right now of their strategy, what advice would you give them?
1: Start with a strategy.
0: (laughs) Where do you start? How do you create one?
1: So you start with a blank piece of paper, turn off everything around you, maybe even leave the space that you're in right now. Start with a blank piece of paper. And the first thing I would tell you to do is, is, is what are your values, right? So do the exercise of these are 10 things that are important to me, right? And then I'm going to now cut those 10 things down to three things. Like That is number one. What is, what is important to me in terms of what my, my values are? Secondly, what are the things that are non-negotiable? in terms of the life and the quality of life you want to live i need to be in this location i need to be earning this kind of money i need to be in this kind of job here's a non-negotiable for me which is unusual i don't ever want to work in a company that sits in the middle and what i mean by that is i only want to work for leaders in their industry and challenger brands i don't want to work with companies who feel comfortable being fifth place for example like that is a that is a non-negotiable for me so those are the first two things right and by the way those two very simple exercises alone will help give you a lot more clarity on, in, on some of the decisions that you've got in front of you. The interesting one about the, the how much I want to make one, I'd love to have this conversation with you. The assumption is, is that in your career, to prove success, your salary needs to go up over time. And so when I speak to most people about, you know, how much money do you want to be on? They automatically add 10 or 20%. Mm-hmm. To what they're currently on at the moment. Whereas the reality of it is, if you first of all think about actually how much money you need in your life, and I'm not saying you need to strive for that, but just be clear on how much money you need in your life and then how much money you want, you'll notice that there's actually huge, well, sometimes if you're privileged enough, there is a discrepancy, right? Particularly if you're in the corporate world and you've got a good job, there tends to be a discrepancy. And so, this idea of like when I, and, and you I know you have examples of this. When I moved to, to Burberry, I took a pay cut from my advertising career. When I moved to Airbnb, I took a pay, pay cut. And I know when you I mean, you started your own agency, you took a pay cut, right? Yeah. And so, it, it, but, but you still live a, a good quality of life because you know what your threshold is. And so just answering questions like this, I think are, are so important. And then, the other thing for me is, is thinking about, obviously, what your passion's about, what your passions are. And again, everything should be cut down to three. Like, we have 10 passions. What are the three most important things? What are the three skills that you have that are important to you? Again, we all have 10 skills, but what are the three things that are most important to you? And like just answering these very simple questions. I've actually got like a, a list of all these questions, Fran, that I'll share with you so that you can share with people so that they have We've them. got
0: homework. We've got homework for yeah. you guys.
1: But like the, the key is, is, is actually just taking the time to write this down. Write it down. Don't just assume you know what your values are. Don't just assume you know what the three, like your three passions are. Don't just assume you know what your three key skill sets are. Write that shit down and scrutinize the three, like scrutinize the 10 to three that are the most important. And again, you mentioned this. It is Like if we know this brand strategy works for brands, it works for people too.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Bring those two things together.
0: First, I actually know more people senior in their career taking pay cuts than I do getting paid what they probably were at one point. And I think part of it is that as you get more mature in your career, those non-negotiables become more clear. And if they're intentional, if you're intentionally looking to create clarity around them, then it becomes even more apparent what you should or should not be doing. And the money question becomes less relevant. I am so sure that right now through Fahrenheit and what we are building here, that I am living my values, living my non-negotiables, not in every part of my life, but in my career today, for sure. And that will change constantly, right? We all go through ups and downs and changes. But I think for me, this idea that taking a pay cut or, and I think this is an important conversation, taking a pay cut or not getting paid what you think you deserve will not work and it will not feel good if you are negotiating your boundaries. If your boundaries are clear and you're rooted, I am here because I am passionate about what I'm doing. It fits my values. It fits my non-negotiables. This is right in the line with how I want to live my life. Then the money piece does Really change, and I think as you get more mature in your career and you go after the things that you want, sometimes something's got to give, and it is—it is very common that money is that thing.
1: Yeah, and by the way, the money will come. So, like again, you and me can be very clear on this. We—we we are obviously talking yes. from a place... Like we're not talking at the beginning of your career, right? Like money is important to you at the beginning of your career. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm really specifically focusing on people who are in jobs right now who are living a comfortable life, right, and are, are lucky. But the money then comes from those. Like in every one of those examples where I've taken a pay cut, my my salary actually jumped up quickly because I was doing something I loved. Like those are very simple words that the first mentor individual told me in my life that have have lived truth throughout my life. Are if you do a job you love, you'll do well in it. And like I am living proof of that very simple message: if you do a, a job you love in life, you'll do well in it. And I and I and I believe that. And so yes. You might not get paid what you deserve to begin with, but if you do the hard work, people will recognize you.
0: I think I talk about this in some of the beginning Fahrenheit episodes, right? Which is, I never in a thousand years thought that by quitting my job, getting rid of all my security, bonus packages and my health insurance and my equity, that I would not only be in a position where I was happier and more fulfilled, but that I actually could make money doing it. And I think the idea is, yes, Fahrenheit is absolutely a startup and we are growing, but we are growing at such a pace that I never would have believed I could do. And I think it goes back to this idea of figuring out what you're passionate about, figuring out your values, understanding your non-negotiables, really who you are and how you want to show up in the world, it's really writing a brand strategy for your life. I think the more that our home life and our work life get blurred, and here is a perfect example. You and I are both at home having this conversation, right? Normally, if we were doing this, it would have been at our offices in the middle of the day. Home and work are blending. It is blurred. And I think that the more that those lines get crossed, the more we start to understand what tools we take and we have from one that can be applied to the other. And I feel like that's really what we're talking about here. One thing I want to add to your list of things you should do is phone a friend. Musa has been someone that I have bounced every career decision I have ever made off of for my whole life. And someone who I have shared my challenges, my values, my goals, my reservations, my self doubt, my ambition with. And I think it's really important to say like these things don't have to live in isolation. You don't have to be so hard on yourself and do it all alone. I actually think that phoning a friend and you are and happen to be that friend for me has been an incredible part of defining my strategy. And I think you think about it or can relate it to how you would do it for a brand, right? Here at Fahrenheit, when we build a brand strategy, it's a group effort. There are many of us collectively discussing the future of a brand and how we think it should live in the world. And I think you've been that friend to me.
1: So thank you, first of all, for saying that. But I'm really happy you said it because it it is one of the things that on, on the list of questions that I'll share with you is like, who sits on your board of directors, right? Who is your board? And here's the biggest mistake people make when they're thinking about mentors, is they look for people who are more senior than them. They look for people who are in really fancy jobs and 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 who are more senior than them. The biggest mistake that people make is not assuming that you can have mentors who are your peers at whatever level. I mean, I'm a mentor for you. You're a mentor for me, and and we've been at the same level. I mean, when we first met, we were mentors to each other. I remember taking the Nike job and speaking to you about that. Right, like, and that, and we were we were junior at the time and and kind of rising up the ranks, and so. It is interesting for people to see that like your mentors can be people who are your peers uh, and they don't always need to be people who are more senior than me. I'm actually finding a lot of excitement in mentorship at the moment because, and I, and I hate to call them mentees and mentors because I'm, I am now with the, the 30 people I mentor, so many of them actually mentor me back. And you can have people who are more junior than you mentoring you and giving you guidance i speaking to my mentor yesterday he was he was guiding me on something that i have a, a problem with and and i think that that is that's the big shift for me is like stop trying to aim to get met like yes have a mix fine get someone who's more senior but don't don't be afraid to have mentors who are also the same age as you and so who are your you know who are your five mentors in life and and, and how do they bring joy to your life
0: so you develop this strategy or this clarity on what matters to you most, on what you really want to accomplish, what are your non-negotiables? So then what comes next? How do you stand out? For someone out there who's really looking to make waves, who's really looking to go big, what do they do?
1: Just like if you were a brand, I think there's four things that you, you would talk about, right? Your, what are your brand pillars? So number one, what are the key elements of your personality? Number two, write a mission statement. What is the mission statement, the thing that you want to achieve in your life? Again, a brand has a mission statement. Why don't you have a mission statement? Number three, what are your points of differentiation? What makes you different from everyone else? And that's a hard one, right? But I actually think that the multitude of combinations of three different personality traits actually are are pretty broad enough to, to make you differentiated from everyone the fourth one is, is in, again, like you would have a brand. What's your identity? What does your tone of voice look like? It's so funny. I think a lot of this comes to me naturally. But, you know, I wear a navy blue Everlane t-shirt every single day of my life. And that, that wasn't intentionally a brand play to begin with. But guess what? It, it actually makes me blend in, to be brutally honest. But, like, I've, I've spoken to people. There's, there's someone who I, I speak on Zoom all the time and she's always wearing leopard skin even when we're in like one of those zoom chats with 30 people she always stands out and that's becoming her brand like good for like that's a point of differentiation like i remember her often more than i remember anyone else in the room like just like if you're a brand on a shelf like how do you stand out from everyone else well you know what's your zoom background look like how do you how are you different from everyone else
0: I remember when Musa first joined Nike and I went to visit him in Portland and he was wearing a Burberry suit in an <laughs> yeah. office, in an office yeah. of people wearing sportswear. Musa wore a very sharp Burberry yeah, suit. that's, that's <laughs> an example
1: of a place that you don't want to stand out, and that was a big mistake and, and two months later, I never wore a suit to, 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 to Nike again. You were, so you, you, can get, you can get it wrong.
0: I think it's not about Perfection. And I think it's not about having all the answers, right? We are, as brand builders, and you can talk about this as well, we are constantly working the muscle. It takes a very experienced brand leader to have a brand that is as sharp as a knife. More often than not, businesses, brands, and us personally, people personally, are dull. It's hard to have clarity all the time. And again, I talked about this earlier, but... Sometimes you have clarity in one piece or part of your life and the other is a bit blurry or something gets thrown at you that you didn't anticipate, like Michael Kors being your key competitor, right? Like things change, the landscape changes. And so you have to evolve and adapt. So how do you evolve? How do you adapt and how do you do it? But at the same time, stay true to who you really are.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's coming back to these questions on a regular basis. I mean, again, not, you know, value, your values probably shouldn't change every week. But the question, the, the, the coming back to this piece of paper, you should come back to this piece of paper when you're feeling stuck. You should come back to this piece of paper every month and go, am I staying true to this? Uh, oh, shit, like I said that this matters to me and I'm, it's ab- totally absent from my life. I'm not doing this one thing. And so just like anyone else would keep you accountable, I think you've got to keep other people. I think you've got to keep yourself accountable as well. For it. And, and, you know... It happens to me all the time. Like there's moments where I'm like, I feel stuck in the mud, and I just go back and look at that piece of paper, and I'm reminded of the things that matter to me and, and what's important to me. And so, it is honestly, it's again the same in work, right? You you feel a bit stuck. Any lots. I've been in lots of companies where they they say, all right, we're going to go back to our our origins, why we started as a company, what like mattered to us. Like a lot of companies that are going through transitions or get old and stodgy is because they they, they move away from their core and what they know best and again perfect example at Burberry it was like let's go back to the trench coat as our core item and that was where we were going to focus our innovation let's go back to being a British brand about protecting people from the elements and and I've, and I've seen it happen over and over again where companies go right we're gonna go focus back on our core and, and all they're doing Farron, is going back to that piece of paper right it was it was Angela basically that found a a old school like, book about Burberry from like the 19, however, early Burberry days, right? in early 1900s. And she was like, right, this is what we're going to go back to. And lots of brands do that, right? Like what worked in the first place? Go back to what's important about that and think about how you modernize it. And it's the same thing applies to human beings. Go back to your one piece of paper that has these questions and saying, like, yes, am I, am I doing these right things?
0: The best of brands are incredibly individual. And yet I feel like as individuals, we're afraid to be ourselves. Part of what makes a brand like Burberry so successful is that they own a trench coat. That's not trendy. It's incredibly timeless. It's incredibly classic and no one can do it quite like they can. And they're not afraid to stand up and just be who they are. It feels like we should take that same lens to really our own path and who we are. And I think that, you know, every single one of us have our own story to write. What success looks like for you as a marketer is very different than what it looks like for me. And I actually say you and I, I would say, are two friends and individuals who in another world could have been competitors, who could have fought for the same jobs and who could have not been supportive of one another. But I think because we both actually figured out who we wanted to be in our field, figured out what mattered to us, figured out what was important to us, we had our own paths to walk.
1: Can I make a prediction? This is a pendulum and it's about individualism and it's about like following the crowd i think in the past 5 to 10 years the pendulum has swung back to us all being alike and i think in the next 5 5 to 10 years the pendulum's going to swing 5 5 years even maybe even less the pendulum's going to swing back to being like celebrating individualism again mm-hmm. And maybe it happens every five years. I, you know, I, I remember, I, I think it was a, a Converse ad or someone, some ad about us being all individuals when Nike ID was introduced, like all these products that celebrated you as an individual, they kind of all faded out because we all then started buying the same, you know, everyone bought the bloody Amazon coat, everyone bought like the same Birkenstocks, everyone bought the same like five items. I think now the pendulum is going to swing back again. And can I share actually one of my favorite brands at the moment? I caveat this with I'm a, a really tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny investor in it. But, but this is not the reason I'm sharing. It. And I'll tell you the why, why I actually invested in it is because of this exact same reason. It's called Liquid Death. <laughs> Liquid Death is a water company, and they sell water in a can. Why it is differentiated, and I encourage you all to go check out the marketing and the creation and communication, is that every brand that was coming my way, every D2C brand that was coming my way, started to look the same, right? Like very monotone colors, simplicity, key, simple design, like everything was flat design, everything was like being... If I could describe them in like a a tone, it'd be like,
0: ah. Premium mediocre is actually the term that was defined for this look.
1: Yeah. I'm not going to offend anyone. It's just going to sit and it will look nice on your shelf. That is it. And then liquid death came along and they were just like, they were like, fuck you, fuck, fuck everything. Like we're going (laughs) to be about like, murdering your thirst we're going to say the things that will upset your grandmother Mm. we're going to be the things that like upset everyone and we're going to say the things that like people don't want to hear about and it stands out Farron like it stands out like a motherfucker it's like it is so differentiated in the marketplace there's there's lots of canned water out there but there's one of them called liquid death and it says murder your thirst and it's got a skull on the front and it just stands out And and I think that like I, I want to see brands like that now that are like going, you know what, like everyone else has gone the plain and bland route that looks good on your shelf. I'm tired of those brands. I want, I want brands who are going to be explicit and stand out and like just have a point of view on the world. And that's scary for founders and it's scary for creatives, by the way, because we've been conditioned to think that everything good needs to look a certain way.
0: It's also scary for us as humans right? What we're really challenging here is to say, like, stand up and be yourself. Stand up and have your own point of view. Don't be afraid to ruffle some feathers. Don't be afraid to have some people not like you, right? Like, I really think that there has been this real shift and that we're seeing it more and more of saying, actually, there's a unique place and path for for everyone. And there's enough space out in the world for a lot of brands to coexist. So figure out who you want to talk to, both professionally and personally, Right. Like for me, getting over this idea that everyone had to like me was definitely a challenge in my life. Right. Like, and I think as a marketer, it's never been a challenge. As a marketer, you have to have so much conviction. I used to say I'm like the great wall of China at Michael Kors. Like come at me and try to tell me that that is on brand. I would know with my heart and with my soul what was right or not right for that company. And that's the really strong That's a really important role that a marketer plays, that a brand builder plays. Imagine if we took that same conviction to our own lives. Things wouldn't happen as naturally, I think. Things would things wouldn't happen as accidentally. They would happen more naturally because we're saying this is who I am. I'm not afraid to show up in the world.
1: The critical thing here is is you're not you're not saying I'm not afraid to show up in the world and I'm gonna be rude to people or be mean or take people out. It's just it just means that I'm gonna turn up to that meeting wearing a leopard skin or oh, well, I'm going to turn up into that meeting in, in a way that is is th- the tone is different more funny more happy more joyous more more ambitious like that that's the the differentiation I'm looking for even in design and creativity like I want to see creative that makes me go I'm not sure how I feel about that like I, I want creativity to push me and challenge me to think think about it versus go oh that looks pretty like you know, I've got, and i just, I've got examples here yeah, I don't want to bring them out because they're brands that you know, friends of mine. But like, they just all seem bland. They all, like, literally everything I'm looking at behind the screen. I'm not going to show you any of them. Just seem bland. And I'm like, show me something that makes me feel, feel something. Show me something that makes me go, man, that's weird. But, you know, for, for for me, it being weird to me, it's going to make me feel amazing for someone else and differentiated for someone else and stand out. And I think stand out is like the hardest thing in the world right now. I think stand out and differentiation is really, 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 really hard. And it's getting more expensive to do because there's more things to do. So the more you can do it with design and creativity, the better.
0: So much of what we're talking about today is this foundation, really this foundation of Setting a strategy, having a clearly defined path, mission, purpose, vision, not being afraid creatively to be yourself, to show up, to be who you are. And yet so much of marketing is talked about as tactics. When I left Sweetgreen, people always would say, what was the secret to your success? And they never liked my answer because my answer was values. My answer was have strong values and live them every single day. Be dedicated to your customer, be dedicated to your product. What do you think is most important for people who are starting out building a brand?
1: It's two things. It's the foundation that you mentioned, number one, right? Get, like, understand who you are and what you stand for and have a point of view. It, everyone might not agree with that, but you have a point of view on what's important to you in the world and don't falter from that. Like, stay that path. Actually, I've got three. The second is 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 obviously know your customer, right? Know to go after a certain customer. And here's, here's the, the tricky question that I get asked the most is, Who's, do you know who Nike's customer is?
0: The Nike's customer is me. Well,
1: but internally within Nike, it's the 17-year-old athlete. Everything is created for this 17-year-old athlete. That doesn't mean that you're not going to buy it. That doesn't mean your six-year-old dad's not going to buy it. That doesn't mean that like the 12-year-old kid's not going to buy it. But it means that they're going to target the 17-year-old athlete, get it 100% right for them. And by the way, that will have a knock-on effect on other people and they'll come into the brand. And the biggest mistake people make is they go, when I ever have this conversation with them and we pinpoint something else, they're like, yeah, but we also want to be accessible to this person and this person and this. Yes, you will be. Nike's a perfect example of that, right? They know who they're, they're building something for. And by the way, other people will buy into that vision too. But they have a very convenient point of view. If you try and produce a product for everyone, that's when you fail. That's when you've become bland, right? Like the more you can be with that individual right and i I don't mean make this person so unique that there's only one of them in the world but there are there are millions of 17 year old athletes in the world and and so the impact is is it has an incredible knock-on effect think about who your audience is and and try and pinpoint them and focus them saying my audience is a, a 21 to 35 year old male or female who lives in a city that is the most generic boring thing that you could say about someone I don't even know. Like there's a thousand people with there's millions and millions and billions of people in that and there's nothing unique about them. What is what is it that there's like specifically about that person? So that's the second thing. The third thing is this prototype quickly. Like that is the key. We have all been conditioned to build brands and to create experiences and to create products that are perfect before we let them go out. But first of all, A, you will never reach perfection. Second of all, by the time that you've wasted all this time making something perfect, once you put it out in the world, you need to evolve and, and, and reinvent so quickly that you just spent so long inventing this one thing versus like people who are putting stuff out there quickly. Like here's a perfect example. If I was starting a fashion brand tomorrow, Farron, the first thing I would do is absolutely, you know, get like understand who I am, who my audience is. The first product I'd make is a simple t-shirt. And the first thing I would do, Farron, is open an Instagram account and put that T-shirt on the Instagram account with a, a little Shopify link on the Instagram account where you just buy, or, maybe, or fuck that even, Venmo me. Venmo, if you want this T-shirt, Venmo me. We'll give everyone a her Venmo. Here's my Venmo, Venmo me this T-shirt, Venmo, Venmo me this amount of money for this T-shirt. And by the way, very quickly will I learn two things. If, if people even care about me <laughs> Producing a fashion brand and care about me producing a, a piece of clothing, right? Maybe no one buys it. In which case, I go, okay, maybe fashion's not my thing. Second of all, people get back to me and go, yeah, I love that design, or I love that fit, or I didn't like the fit, but I love the design. Like, get that instant feedback and then go on and and then start, you know, producing more clothes and maybe sell more on Instagram and then think about a website. Whereas for everyone else, it's like, no, no, no. We need to spend like eight months on this beautiful website, this beautiful logo, this beautiful thing. I I, I mean, I I, I actually like, I mean, you work with startups a lot more than I do. I would love to hear your perspective on that. My, My take is like, stop overthinking things. Get it out into the marketplace. Even if the marketplace is 10 people, 20 people, 30 people, 100 people, your neighborhood. And then build from there versus the other way around of like trying to go have a launch day in like six months time where everything is just perfect.
0: What I love about what you're saying is that there's this inherent fearlessness, this idea of don't be so afraid to just throw something against the wall and test and learn. But what I want to clarify is that you're not saying to do it without a strategy, right? That's a waste of time. What you're saying is, get clear on who you are, get clear on what you want, get clear on what you're building, do it in a simple way that's not that hard. It's about really sitting down and spending the time, lock yourself in a room, turn off your phone, create some clarity, and then from that place, from that place of conviction and authority, go run. And don't waste your time perfecting it because you're gonna do that on the fly. And I would agree with you. I think that the world moves too fast today. There have been so many brands that I've experienced working with where we spend so much time strategizing on a platform that by the time we launched that strategy, the platform has changed. Snapchat is a great example of that. This is something that I learned the hard way where Snapchat launched. I thought that I had to hire an expert in Snapchat. By the time I hired this person to come to the company, the platform was a bit more irrelevant and it wasn't right. It had, it had matured enough to know that it wasn't right for our audience. I think what you're saying and what is so interesting about this conversation is that you are someone who, again, comes from an incredible background and experience in marketing. And the number one piece of advice you're giving to the people who are listening here today is the simplest of things. Just because they're simple doesn't mean they're easy. In fact, again, creating that clarity, creating that strategy is really challenging. It can be emotional. It can be draining. It can be frustrating. There are pieces of my life I'm still trying to figure out. But what I have learned is the power of creating clarity in certain areas. And so now I'm motivated to do it in others. And I think you said before, it comes easy to you. I think partially that's because you build brands, right? So, for those of us who are in this industry, right? Part of this conversation is us taking what we've learned and what works for businesses and say, how can you apply this to your everyday life?
1: Mic drop. <laughs> yeah, I, listen. He I, never I, agrees I, with yeah.
0: anything I have to say. So, you know, I, know, he's I being hardly angry. do. I, have,
1: yeah. <laughs> I hardly do. But yeah, but you're absolutely right. Like, but some things are simple. Right? Like, some things are, some, some things are simple. Some things are overcomplicated. You're right. It goes back to the thing I said at the very beginning. Get your foundation right. The building can rise very quickly. Once you've got your, for every company that I've worked on, once the foundation is secure, and, and by the way, like you go and experiment, like experiment and build that building on top of it and see and if it fun. goes, if it doesn't. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Definitely have fun. And
0: definitely have fun. On that note, I have three quick questions for you that I know you're going to hate answering, but I'm going to make you do it anyway. Musa, what's your brand?
1: What do you mean? Like as in my own personal brand?
0: Yes. You. I don't know.
1: I'm going through a transition right now. Okay. It's, 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 I'm going from chapter one to chapter two of my life, well, maybe chapter 10 to chapter 11 of my life.
0: You're like in an allegorical phase.
1: My brand is, is someone who's kind and patient and who cares about people and, and particularly the future youth of this, this world. The future leaders of this world, sorry.
0: If you don't mind sharing, what are your three values?
1: I have these written down on my own, but I can't find them. (laughs) One is to always be learning and always be teaching. Very critical to me. One is family and friends come first. Very important to me. And then um, always be kind. Those are the three things that matter to me the most. I kind of want to ask you yours as well. What are your values?
0: In the sense of business... There are absolutely three fundamental values that I have. The first, like you, is I must teach and I must learn. I learned very early on that I still actually... Still copying me all, all these always, years always, days. Still always, always. I learned very on, and maybe this is an area where you and I connect, that I was way more fulfilled by feeling like I made an impact on someone than I did by accomplishing or being rewarded for my own work. And I think that's a fundamental need for me. I think two is definitely living a spirited, adventurous life, which ironically, you know, is something where you and I might differ.
1: And when you've been happiest, we've always spoken about this personally, whenever you've been happiest, you've been living that. And when you haven't been happiest, you haven't been living that.
0: And when I was trying to compartmentalize my life and my work and live these two separate lives, I was constantly feeling challenged. And I think the last one is I need fast paced, high growth intensity. I don't operate well in stillness and it's a blessing and it's a curse. But what I recognized was to stop beating myself up for it and instead say, this is who I am. And like, I'm going to play ball. And in fact, Fahrenheit is a really great example of where that then came to life. We operate on a 24 hour clock. We're working with 10 to 15 companies at any given time. It's chaos. It's where I thrive, right? There's a risk to it all the time. I'm going to save some of my personal ones for later on in this season. But last question, if you were a brand slogan, what would you be?
1: I hate slogans. I don't, I don't want to be a slogan. Uh, can I flip the question mm-hmm. again, as usual? Less about like, if, if we always, if, if this is like the most douchey brand thing, person marketing thing to say is like, you don't own your brand, the customer does. If that's true about brand and the customer owns my voice or like my brand, and my customer is the people who are my friends and people who are around me and people I work with. Then, then I just want to, I just want to be, I just want to be kind. Like honestly, that that's like kind, thoughtful, generous. Goes back to my values again. Same thing. Values hopefully reflect, and then things that are important to me reflect back to people who are around me. It's not more complicated than that.
0: I mean, I would have just answered "just do it" as my answer, but thank you for <laughs> <Yes>. that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Musa. We appreciate you and all of your insights.
1: Thanks. You know I hate doing these things. This is for you. Thank you. Team